This is Marco, and you are listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Hakimi. The cross for Marco Royce on the volley. Alcas is there, and so too Brun Larsen, and they're back in the game. Royce on for Jaden Sancho. Marco Royce! Wow, what a comeback! Go Alcacer again for Hakimi again. Hakimi's cross! It's in for number three. They've turned the game right around. Paco Alcacer from 2-0 behind. Can they get Paco Alcacer in? They can do. To dot the I's, to cross the T's, to win the game and to go top of the table here. Hello and welcome to episode 248 of The Yellow Wall Pod. I'm your host, Stefan Wutzko, and we have to discuss how Borussia Dortmund claimed the top of the table in the Bundesliga on match day six. And for that, among other things, join me once again, Lars <laughs> Poemann. Hello, Lars, and I'm very sorry I deleted our track last time. Yeah, among other things, I'm here, Stefan. Thanks. <laughs> No, with among other things, I meant that uh, we also have to preview the Monaco game in the Champions League and the Augsburg match. And also here, Konstantin Eckner. Hello. Hi. And Matthias Zug from Colorado. Hello, Matthias. Tach. <laughs> All right. Um, who wants to start first? Uh Last, because you're the grumpiest and I want to start low and then get higher. Uh, do we have a title race now in the Bundesliga? As of October 1st, maybe. As of uh, November 20th, hell no. So, there. All right, Konstantin. <laughs> of course we have a title race. I mean, I'm, I, I predicted it early on. Then I dropped off and I thought uh race was already over, but now we are back in the game. We are back in the race. And I'm pretty pumped for what's coming next. And yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm already getting ahead of myself and trying to open a bottle of champagne here, but I'm having a hard time doing it. All right. So, um, Matthias, um, why is Lars not all too excited and why is uh, Konstantin overly excited? Well, as far as Lars not being overly excited, we've been down this road before where everyone was exuberant and, wow, look at us. And yeah, then it didn't turn out quite that well. And I want to say that was like basically a year ago. Uh, why Konstantin is very excited is because this isn't like a year ago. Uh, because when we get into talking about Leverkusen, the one takeaway I had from that match was... I feel like that's a match a year ago Dortmund definitely would have lost. Yeah, I think you can make that statement about a lot of games. I would say the 1-1 against Hoffenheim, for example, is also a game where I feel Dortmund would have most definitely lost that. Even though Dortmund last season also won a lot of games where nobody exactly knew how and why. So, um, yeah, it's all relative as always. But, um, yeah... I said before the Leverkusen match um, that this game will be more of a statement game um, than the 7-0 over Nürnberg. And I feel like I was right. Um, Dortmund haven't replicated the 7-0 win since 1986. But we have to go back even further if we see the uh, first league match uh, Dortmund have won since, uh, after being down to nothing at halftime. Um, at least... 
according to Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung, I haven't double-checked it, but they wrote that uh, Dortmund haven't won a game uh, since 1982, when they've been down by two goals after 45 minutes. So also quite historic and uh, yeah, it tells us a lot about how Dortmund operate this season. I mean, if you look at... Uh, You know, the, the goals they've scored, uh, 11 they've scored in the Bundesliga out of 19 after the hour mark and uh, 9 of 19 in the last 20 minutes. So, um, yeah, Dortmund always score late, it seems, this season, uh, which is not very uh, comfortable for someone who has to file something by or very close to full time, I can tell you. Um, nevertheless, it's a 4-2 victory, but the first half looked not like Dortmund were going to walk this or uh, even come out of this in, in one piece. Um, Lars, you already alluded to, I don't know if you, if you said it on the pod or, or right before it, um, that Favre didn't have the best plan. Uh, what about Favre's plan going into this game did you not like? I mean, there was obviously a couple of changes in the in the back line. We had uh, Diallo as left back instead of Marcel Schmelzer and Hakimi once again as right back instead of Lukas Piszczek and Akanji and Zagadou formed the center back positions. So go ahead, Lars. What do you think Favre got wrong or, or Dortmund didn't do well? Well, it wasn't so much having a bad plan. It was once again not going into a game, having any sort of plan going forward, it felt like. Um, certainly didn't feel like uh, going with Maximilian Philipp, who's completely out of form up top, makes a lot of sense at the moment. I think if Paco Alcacer can play 30 minutes from the bench, he can probably start and go off after 60 or so minutes. That probably helps your team more than basically wasting an hour of Maximilian Philipp up front because he's just not cutting it at the moment. And it wasn't as much about, you know, The, the defensive personnel decisions or whatever. I mean, he was kind of forced into those because Marcel Schmelzer wasn't only rested as Michel Zorc said on Saturday. He was also, uh, did also pick up a slight knock. Lukas Piszczek was supposed to play on the right. I'm pretty sure that uh, Hakimi would have played on the left and Sagadu would have been on the bench, but then Piszczek picked up some slight muscle problems. So he was forced into those substitutions, but just generally, It felt like Leverkusen were much more forceful. They had a much better plan if we want to keep that discussion up than Nuremberg did on Wednesday. So I think, uh, I, I just didn't really see a way for Dortmund to advance the ball with any force into the final third, if you like. So Leverkusen pressed them relatively high, but it wasn't, you know, the, the Roger Schmidt Leverkusen who make a game completely unwatchable because both teams make so many mistakes. Uh, it was more of Leverkusen just being the far superior team in most aspects of the game. And after the, the seven nothing and thinking that the team would come in with, you know, this extra confidence or anything, the, the first 45 and really the first 60 minutes were just really bad. So, I mean, we can talk all we want about them coming back and all those late goals, as you mentioned. But, you know, at some point, those late goals will run dry and they will have to put, an, put in a performance against a decent opponent. So not counting Nuremberg uh, for 90 minutes. And I'm yet, I've yet to see that. 
Yeah, I think overall, uh, for, for if we talk about players individually, I feel like uh, very rarely has a player performed well for 90 minutes. I, I think maybe Axel Witzel in this game, but uh, yeah, there are often sparks, but nobody is really bringing the noise for the full 90 minutes. Um, Matthias, do you think it was the right call to uh, start Thomas Delaney in, in this game? I know he got a lot of praise after his... Uh, Uh, performance against Nuremberg where he was just not pressured but you sort of know going into a game against Leverkusen that they will press you and I feel like his press resistance isn't right right there so uh why why do you think Favre picked him over the hood who was certainly fit to start Uh, why he picked him over Dahoud, I'm, uh, I don't know. Um, I wouldn't necessarily pick him above Dahoud, even though uh, I do have my criticisms, criticisms of Dahoud. Even in this match, he played a few passes where, uh, would have led to Dortmund definitely losing the match. I could think of one just before Dortmund's goal where I almost fell off the couch watching it. Um, but, Asking Delaney to essentially kind of be the drop-deep playmaker is something I didn't quite get. When you know Witzel is significantly better at doing that, um, who was on the pitch, and obviously Dahut can do that. Um, judging it off of the Nuremberg match was even where he played fantastically, but like you said, not being pressured, a player who is not a playmaker can look like a playmaker. Because uh, he's good enough to do that when people let him. But he wasn't going to be let. I, I don't know what the thinking was. Thankfully, a change was made. And you immediately saw a difference in the way Dortmund played when you didn't ask Delaney to do something which he's not really meant to do, if that makes sense. It does to me. So, Konstantin, if you, if you look at the game, are there um, anything... Is there anything we can praise about Favre's in-game coaching? Do you think that Heiko Herrlich made the right decisions with his substitutions? And overall, how do you see this game develop or, or fold out uh, unfold on a, on, a, on a tactical level? Do you think it was an interesting tactical battle or was it more of a war of attrition? Uh War of attrition, I guess. I take option two. Um, and as for Herrlich, uh, to start off uh, with Leverkusen, he just made a few panic substitutions after uh, where he scored the second goal um, with the equalizer. Then he just brought on a few f fresh legs, um, but that was it. There was nothing Herrlich uh, did in the second half, actually, which was, which was disappointing, but also we did it expectedly. Or he, he did nothing expectedly so um especially because Dortmund uh, quite well uh, get behind Bender and Core the the three uh, the two center midfielders which was a really which should have been a concern for Leverkusen because the four Dortmund attackers really got their way in the second half um as for Farfa well um it was mentioned Delaney you know, I don't really know what his role was. Pretty much just, you know, counter-pressing guy and, and uh, st stabilizing the midfield, but that's it. I don't know what what's up with Juan uh, Weigel, actually, because I think if you want uh, a real number six next to Witzel, then Weigel should be your guy and not Delaney. Um, I, you know, if you don't want to start with Dahoud against the Leverkusen side, where I don't really know what they are... Uh, 
going to do in, in terms of you know how they structure their attacking midfield? Is Harvard's number 10? What is Folland doing in this match? Harvard's was number 10. Folland was on the right side and Brand on the left side. That changes a little bit, um, or has changed a lot quite recently because Herrlich doesn't really hasn't really figured out what he what he has to do to, uh, to get back in the win column more than once. Um, that being said, um, Farford did what well, did make the right choice or did make the right decision um, during halftime. He brought on Dahoud, which enhanced Dortmund's attacking uh, style a lot because uh, before that you could see that Hakimi and the other two fullbacks were pretty passive at build-up, so that it meant that and, and Delaney, of course, was also pa- passive. He didn't really advance because he doesn't he doesn't feel comfortable advancing. And Witzel did it here and there, but not as frequently as as someone like Dahoud does. And so you got four attacking players up front in the last third, and I mean they all talented. They can uh, create something there, but um, that's not enough. Actually, you need, you need someone who's who's behind them, and and I think Dahoud is the right guy to do that. And uh, looking back at the uh, third goal, I think, no, at the first goal, actually, um, when um, Hakimi uh, played the cross pass to Royce and then, you know, got uh, that one, his attempt got denied by Rodetsky, but uh, Lawson tipped it in. When you see what Dahoud did there, that was, that is what he is supposed to do, you know, being a little behind and then playing an, an ex- accurate, precise, well-timed pass to the to the right side. So Hakimi has a few mo- a moment or two, you know, to 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 see to scan the field to see um, where is on the second post. And it was a beautiful cross pass. So, but it was you know uh, it was basically um, just possible uh, um, because Dahoud made the right pass. Uh, at the right time with the right uh, speed and everything else, so um, so that's what what he's for. Uh, without the hood, you basically have a big, big old hole behind Royce, Pulisic, and Lawson, and that's what really killed Dortmund's attacking department uh, for the most part in the first I don't know fifty minutes or so. Yeah, what I felt, especially in the first half, is that Jakub Brunlassen was more or less the only one to, to create something from deeper in midfield where he either took just a quick touch to, to pass it to Marco Royce or something or, uh, yeah, dribble pass to, to players. So there were not too many chances, but, uh, one where Polisic had a sh- shot off, um, was, for example, one where, uh, Brunlassen, uh, deep on, on, on the left side actually created the move for Pulisic then to fire it away like on the right edge of the box that was something that for example I remember um but otherwise Dortmund creatively in the first half where yeah there was just really nothing um last I remember Christian Pulisic uh more or less for the most part of the game just sitting and and uh, petulantly complaining to the referee um do you think that uh, because of his performance he will then uh, start on the bench next game because Favre maybe thinking that he needs a break or was that just down to Leverkusen actually dealing with him quite well with a, a fullback and a winger at the same time most of the time? Well, I could see uh, Farfel going with Marius Wolf just because it's a Champions League game and he's a risk-averse coach, I would say. So uh, Wolf as the more disciplined, tactically speaking, player uh, providing a bit more cover for Hakimi, hopefully, or maybe Pischek at right back. 
I could see that, but it won't be down to anything that specifically happened in the Leverkusen game. I think we've, or it's been well established that Pulisic has really high highs, but his lows are quite low still. I mean, he's still only 20 years old, so it's almost to be expected. But not only he, but also Hakimi really got on my nerves quite a bit in those first, first 60 or so minutes because whenever they were contacted, not even, you know, slightly fault, but just contacted, they went down, uh, looking at the referee, throwing their arms up. And I mean, you can do that once or twice, but when you realize that the code, that the, the referee thinks of this as a big game, you know, Champions League rules almost. So they won't call everything. Then just deal with it and, and read the room and start playing football. But they, kept doing this so i was quite annoyed with it <laughs> yeah fair enough um, matthias um if we talk about leverkusen's two goals in the first half um especially uh talking about little touches uh, i think vendel pulled pulisic's shirt uh prior to the one nil where uh, pulisic just yeah then stood there and uh, i think akanji and hakimi both slipped as as leverkusen attacked and weise just hit the perfect shot i think the expected goals on that shot the the uh, count is like 0.04 something in the ninth minute and then on the 39th uh, yeah Dortmund just cannot deal with the clearance to save their lives Zagadou and Diallo make an absolute meal of that um, do you think Leverkusen were absolutely deserved to be 2-0 ahead or do you think that the the chances they had were actually not that big well you know I was thinking about that during the match and for me it's never okay to concede a goal all right. It's never great. But if you're going to concede goals, I guess I can live with conceding these types of goals, especially the Visa shot, because it's not a high percentage opportunity. You know, for me, it's always key about keeping down the high percentage shots, which ironically, when Dortmund played better in the second half, Leverkusen had more of, in my opinion. Um, the, the, so that's just a, a wonder strike. Nine times out of 10, that's not a goal. It's not going in. It's going to hit a body. It's going to do something. Um, the not being able to clear a set piece. Well, that's kind of an ongoing issue for Dortmund, I feel like, for the last six years. Um, so, yeah, it's not that Leverkusen were dominant, like had a dominant 2-0 lead because they were playing so much better than Dortmund. Uh, they got a, a wonder strike from Visa, and then due to Dortmund's own incompetence defensively, got a 2-0 lead. So, but they did play decently defensively. So I wouldn't say it was totally deserved the lead, but it wasn't undeserved. So that's a, a very long non-answer to your question. You're welcome. <laughs> All right, then I ask another non-question, Matthias. Um, do you think uh, they should have ended the game in the first 15 minutes of the second half after, I think, one brain fart by Akanji and another one by Dahoud that yielded in pretty good chances for Leverkusen? I think Kevin Folland hit the post, the one shot when uh, Zagadou then has like a really good sliding tackle to clean up before there's a rebound. Do you think that at this moment Dortmund were simply lucky or do you think... That's, uh, yeah, these were also like low scoring shot or, or, you know, low percentage shots like Follans. Oh, oh, no. I mean, Dortmund, obviously Dortmund got lucky. I think, um, you know, overall, if you look at their opportunities, Roman Bürki saved the day again. Um, and I do want to give a quick shout out to Lars for his article about Roman Bürki, the unsung hero of Dortmund. 
um, which I thoroughly enjoyed that article because, as everybody knows, I'm a huge Buicky apologist. Um, but uh, no, don't, Leverkusen should have, when you're up 2 0, all the way to the 65th minute, you need to win that match. There's no excuse for not winning that match. And Leverkusen should have put it away. Dortmund got lucky that they didn't. Dortmund then turned the match. And there were plenty of opportunities where Leverkusen could have won or equalized the match later on uh, that they didn't utilize. So I think it's a combination of Dortmund luck, then Dortmund playing better, and Leverkusen incompetence this season. They're not playing as well as they did last season. Well, Leverkusen incompetence is only induced by many experts tipping them to either win the Bundesliga or, or to be title contenders. And as soon as, or as, as soon as that happens, they collapse. I, I don't know why. It's just uh, their tradition, I assume. Um, now, Konstantin, as I already alluded to beforehand, uh, Dortmund now have scored a lot of goals in the last half hour. Um, also in the Champions League, infamously. Do you think that Dortmund are maybe a fitter team than other teams? Do you think that Dortmund do something on the field to tire opponents out? Or do you just think that the depth of the squad uh, is uh, helping Dortmund to just tilt the tide in their favor or tip the tide in their favor or all of the above? Oh, um, then I go with um, answer C also. All of the above. I don't know. Now, um, but the point I want to make, uh, kidding aside, is that I think it's that's why I was so optimistic uh, before the season even started. Not only because of Fafra, because I think can offer something almost almost none of the other coaches can in the Bundesliga at least. Um, I think the individual quality is uh, pretty pretty high and somewhat underestimated uh, by many <clears throat> of the you know uh, observers and journalists and and just people in, in, in the in the football business in Germany. Um, so if you are able to bring on Sancho, Dehut, and Alcázar, that tells you something. And it tells you a lot, actually, about the quality. And I think uh, bring on... Uh, I, I know. I'm, I agree with Lars. Um, Alcázar has to play or has to start um, as soon as possible because he's just far better for superior uh, center forward, especially right now. <laughs> also the only one, apparently. <laughs> well, Philip can play center forward, but you, you get the point, right? Um, he's, of course, what he did, uh, prior to his first goal is just what he, what we discussed, uh, a few weeks ago, um, and what makes him special as a center forward because he can engage, uh, in combination plays, making the right pass at the right time and then doing the right thing, making the deep run, uh, getting in behind the center back, pretty much, um, outmaneuvering Ta, which is, of course, also double the size of, uh, Icaza, but, that's, um, that's that was to to Icaza's advantage uh, at this point, at least in this situation. Um, so, I guess um, that tells you that the quality is just so high. Um, of course, on the other side, you got Leverkusen bringing on Bailey and Paulinho and Yetvai. That's also that's quite impressive. Uh, that's when the, the Fafre and his in-game coaching uh, comes in and gets Dortmund ahead. I guess a little bit. Um, because I think Farfra has made a lot of mediocre or bad decisions before matches, has already made them against you know, uh, Brugge and and now against Leverkusen and a few, and a few other matches. I think I think against Hoffenheim to some extent at least. 
But what he third Hanover also yeah third right I already you know that's already faded uh, because I don't want to think about it anymore. But yeah, you're right. And Hanover actually yeah good point better better example than the Hoffenheim match I think. Um, but what he does is correcting a lot of mistakes um, after 45 minutes or 60 minutes. So at least that's something, and that works. You know th these these two points are um, you know they they aren't isolated from each other. Actually, they you know combine to two. You got a you got a pretty much the best bench in the Bundesliga, maybe other than Bayern, and you got someone who makes the right in-game coaching decisions um, in the 60th minute or so. So you know if these two uh, points are coupled, then I think you, we we see why something or why Dortmund is so successful in the second half in, in many second halves. Also, one last point I want to make: just watch the watch Alcázar's first goal, the the uh, three two, the, fir uh, the third Dortmund goal. Just watch it. I, Dortmund stayed calm and collected, uh, moved the ball around in Leverkusen's half. Actually, also a pretty much uh, a videotape everyone or a goal everyone should watch who's claiming that possession football is, is dead because there was possession football at the highest level. Um, you know, calm, collected, moving, outmaneuvering Leverkusen and then, you know, just not getting uh, too excited, not getting, not getting under stress, just calm, you know, playing the ball. There, there, was, there was before... Uh, um, Akasa makes the pass to to Hakimi. There was there was a, a moment earlier. Dortmund could have lost the ball, but they made the right choice to play backwards and and uh, try it again. Then it, then it uh, went the right way, and Dortmund scored the third goal in the 85th minute. They did it. No, not not uh, playing the long ball and long ball after long ball after long ball. No, they did it the right way. They did they did something 16 other Bundesliga uh, teams wouldn't do at in that situation. Yeah, they played, I think, 15 passes uh, in, in, in that uh, instance. Uh, I think Witzel, Hakimi, Sancho, Witzel, Diallo, Witzel, Dahoud, Hakimi, Sancho, Alcázar, Reus, Hakimi, Alcázar, Reus, Alcázar, Hakimi, Alcázar, boom. And, and uh, by the way, 15, 16 passes about that what uh, Pep Guardiola says is the right amount of passes you, you, you have to play or you should play uh, setting, up, setting up a goal-scoring opportunity that really is something you can score from. Well, I'm 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 glad we got the uh, Pep Guardiola approval here. Of course, um, that that means a lot. <laughs> um, Matthias, um, obviously we can now talk about Alcasa and uh, what a great player he is. How he drops back and uh, yeah, is the player that combines and then enters the box with such speed that um, no center back can pick it up, and especially not the likes of Ta and Bender. And obviously, uh, that finish was really great too. But um, I want to talk a bit uh, about a more general thing, and that, I guess, is uh, also, let's call it winning mentality. Um, I feel like this team pulls itself together a little bit better now. Obviously, that's sometimes a bit of a hypothetical discussion. Nevertheless, um, I think if you look at the body language, if you look at the, the self-belief, that's something... Uh, yeah, I, I think we can see or think we can see. And if we look back to last year, um, Dortmund looked scared at times. And I think it was Lukas Hadecki who said after the 2-1 for Leverkusen after Dortmund scored that they had, I think he literally said that they had poos in their pants. So, Matthias, um, how much of a difference does it have that Dortmund uh, have more, let's say, mental stability or re resolution or whatever? And... Where did this come from? 
Is it success first and then mentality or the other way around? Well, I think it's a combination of it. Um, I think, you know, success breeds confidence, but confidence breeds success. So, you know. So the chicken and the egg came yeah. at the same time. Yeah, I think. But having a player like Paco, as well as Hakimi coming from Real Madrid, that's why I love the idea that a Real Madrid player passed the ball to a Barcelona player. Um, they're coming from clubs where you demand victory. A victory is is expected, even from the players. They go onto the pitch going, we're going to win, we're going to dominate, and nobody can stop us. Except, of course, when they play each other. Um, or Levante. Um, but uh, the... Sorry. Uh, but you you definitely can see that. I mean, even players that... If you look at... Uh, yeah, he didn't have a great match, but Delaney coming from Bremen, where you know they were counted out, they didn't. They never gave up. Dortmund last season, even under Thomas Tuchel's in his last season, or at least the last half of the season, they would give up quickly. Um, I don't, I don't sense that from them anymore. And then you have, you know, brash young confidence coming in from Brun Larsen, Pulisic, Sancho, uh, Hakimi as well, as well as Akanji Diallo, um, where they're like, no, we're we're not losing, we're not giving up. Screw this. They're just arrogant, young enough and brash enough in that aspect to not give in, to not easily be deflated mentally um, and not give up. That's even a criticism I had of when we still had that player called Usman Dembele, where he his body language, if it just wasn't going right, he was just eh, pout and I feel like not really give it his all. I don't get that sense from Sancho or from Brun Larsen or Pulisic. That's almost like it gets them going even more. And yeah, that's a Brun huge Larson difference. Brun literally said into my microphone uh, after the game that, uh, you know, we were simply better at some point. He was like, yeah, well, uh, Leverkusen all nice and well. They have quality. But at some point he just said, yeah, well, we're, we were simply better. That's in, in the whitewashed football business where players usually don't say a lot of things you know obviously still a, a bit young but that that struck me you know because okay fair enough but but uh, it's true yeah, some, but it's yeah. true and it's and honestly i mean it's always our greatest criticism of bayern players to basically say hey pff, you know we're the king on the pitch it's your job to try and stop us and we're just better but at the end of the day there's a reason why they always win except when they play hatta this season um it's because it's true and that confidence breeds a winning mentality and you need more of that yes i'm all for you know being a little bit more humble and a little bit humility at times but if you're better and you win and you perform and you show it there's nothing wrong with saying we played better in the same breath when Dortmund don't play well admitting they were better is a key thing versus saying, well, we didn't play well and they, you know, got lucky because we played like crap. That's the that's the other side of the coin where a lot of criticism comes with Bayern. Bayern, you know, in the past, they don't lose because the other team played better. They lose because Bayern didn't play as well. And so that's, to me, it goes both ways. And in this case, why not say, yeah, we were better. For the last 35 minutes when it really was crunch time, Dortmund were better. So, Lars, I know you don't love to talk about mentality, so I won't. Um, but I think the first time in, in preseason, we saw a couple of combinations um, where I thought, wow, this is this is really fast. This is fun to watch. Um, 
we didn't see it for a very long time and then all of the seven in the, in the seven nothing win i mean Nuremberg made it quite easy for dortmund but we all of a sudden saw it again and now uh, in the in the final stages against Leverkusen Dortmund you know they didn't fluke the goal necessary so I, I thought all the goals they had were really good combinations okay the fourth opener is always a bit lucky but nevertheless um do you think that Dortmund have maybe turned the corner a little bit uh, in the attacking department even though they needed at least an hour on Saturday I would say the jury is still out Uh, because Leverkusen, as you said, or quoted Radetzky, basically crapped their pants. And, you know, instead of keeping their calm after wasting two chances and conceding uh, from Brunlasen in the 65th minute, they completely lost their cool and didn't really defend anymore. So uh, once again, even though on a much higher level, obviously, than against Nuremberg, Dortmund didn't really crack open the, the most difficult defense that is to crack open. So I'm still somewhat reserved, but obviously when a player like Marco Reus turns it on, Hakimi did really well. Uh, we've seen now in, in two short appearances what Alcacer can probably do because we still don't really know at least I don't really know uh, when that quality and, and I mean Jane Sancho is probably the best sub in world football right now so when when those guys are on the pitch together and, and have the right mindset and mentality to go for you know the, the kill shot basically for that third fourth goal then that is really hard to stop and I believe it's going to be hard to stop for most teams uh, not only the Nuremberg's who are just not really Bundesliga quality in too many spaces and Leverkusen crapping their own pants but just because we haven't seen it yet you know they they haven't played Bayern they they haven't played dare we say Schalke have a pretty good defense on paper at least um, they haven't played Hertha who are really good this season they they haven't played Atletico Madrid in the Champions League who may be the, the, the toughest test in that regard. Until I see that against a really good opponent, I'm going to stay somewhat reserved, but obviously uh, after scoring 11 goals in let's say 125 minutes, I think, uh, obviously they, they've improved massively over not creating Jack against Hoffenheim, for example. But one last point on, on I do want to talk about the mentality thing for, for a second here. I do believe uh, had Ishak Belfodil not missed from two yards out against Dortmund in the, I think, first minute of extra uh, or stoppage time, the, the Hoffenheim striker. Uh, and if uh, Lukas Alario doesn't hit the post, so it's 3-0 for Leverkusen instead of 2-0. We, we are probably talking about Dortmund folding in the big games this season. And since those two things happened among others uh, we are talking about mentality being a big strength so that's also something i'm i'm saying reserved uh over because we've we've had eight matches this season that's not even a fifth of what dortmund are going to play this season so let let some adversity some real adversity uh get in their way and then let's talk about the metal after overcoming those issues i mean obviously feels different this season uh, as opposed to last year but i mean they they conceded 
against Eintracht Frankfurt under Peter Stöger as the, the equalizer in the 90th minute turned around and Mishibachua has scored the winner. So it's not like they, they didn't have any of that grit in them. So because it feels different now and we've seen it maybe once or twice already that that doesn't mean that this is suddenly this, this ultra resilient team. I'm, we, we have to see that over the long haul and with some real adversity. No, you're right. And uh, to add to that, um, it, it's it's quite amazing. I think that's often so in football that there are a lot of uh, tiny details that uh, make up the big story in the end. But uh, Dortmund season could have looked so much different, uh, you know, after a couple of games already. I mean, they could have easily crashed out of the cup against Fürth and... Uh, their um, win in the Champions League wasn't quite guaranteed where they were the worst side over many, many minutes. And then Pulisic's strike was was quite lucky. So not everything is down to mentality, but uh, I think it's an aspect uh, that that we can talk about and whether it has improved or not. I personally think it does or it, it did improve already. But, uh, you know, we, we, we all know that... that Stuff like that can change in an instant and uh, just the discussion can shift in an instant. Um, but nevertheless, Dortmund are now first in the table, 14 points, one point ahead of uh, Bayern Munich. And if we look at the table, uh, Dortmund can also be really, really quickly uh, in the Europa League places. So um, as, as, as great as it is to now say we have a title race, this uh, whole uh, narrative can also die in one week, but nevertheless, um, Konstantin, the title race itself will mostly depend on, um, whether Bayern will consistently score and win their games or whether they run into trouble, uh, and I guess self-made trouble that is. Um, do you think that, um, Bayern Munich are as strong as they were last year? Do you think they will score as many points or do you think that, uh, something is little, bit iffy in, in, in Munich because obviously um, it's all about relativity and how good your opponent performs. So might as well talk just briefly about Bayern and if you see potential for a title race just because Bayern may or may not falter. Yeah, I, I, I guess that's the season, this season, where it can beat Bayern, where Bayern are beatable and uh, not because they have declined in quality, uh, but I think they have a decimated squad the squad was already thin last year they have one player less this season um a few injuries already have set them back um i mean Komong is out for a long time Tuliso is out maybe for an entire season um now Goretzka is also a little bit injured something on his ankle so you know if, if that's that's the thing they have a, a tiny squad and a few injuries will you know, get them into trouble. Just imagine if Robert Robert Lewandowski uh, gets injured with a, something, a knee injury or so, then basically Bayern can just you know, <laughs> ride off into the sunset, but then, then the season's over for them uh, in terms of, you know, um, the goals they usually have. I don't think they will they will do much in the Champions League. I mean, they will get to the quarterfinals, of course, but that, that might be it then. Again, um, especially compare, comparing Kovac and Heinkes. Heink, uh, Kovac's style is just more high volume, uh, more intense, or at least, you know, paper, uh, what, what, what he wants to do. It's a more intense style. 
So that's get on that gets on the body and uh, gets you exhausted even quicker than last season. And so they will get into trouble with injuries and just tired players and maybe players getting injured because they are tired and and they shouldn't be on the pitch but they have to be. Um, so yeah, uh, Bayern. I get. I guess they offloaded a few players, um, getting off the payroll. Because they want to make something, want to want to make a few big deals next or next summer, uh, but this season I don't know. I don't really see them being as good as they were last last year. That doesn't mean they they won't win the championship. That can happen, of course. Um, they they play a more attacking style, uh, or they try at least to do so, uh, which can get them into trouble here and there. But they can they are still capable of just you know, steamrolling teams. Um, still possible, and they will do it. Um, when when they lost against Hertha, against the Hertha side that's on a roll right now. All right, wrong place, wrong time, basically. Uh, but also, it tells you that Bayern they aren't as stable as they were a few years ago. I mean, they weren't they weren't that stable last season. They got rid of uh, Angelotti. Uh, just remember, you know, it 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 feels like it's ten years ago, but it was it was a year ago. Um, brought back Heinkes and Heinkes, you know, stabilized uh, situation. What what he does best. Um, and now bringing in Kovac is a bit, bit of a risk. Uh, I think the, the early on, the success, success early on, um, helped Kovac a lot. And I don't think he will get into trouble as soon as, as November or so. Uh, but he, he's under pressure because, you know, he doesn't really has the resume to back up, um, himself if he, if he starts losing games left and right. And that's, that's, um, you know, uh, Matthias just talked about Hakimi and, and, uh, Alcaza, your Barcelona and Real Madrid because they, these players are going into matches knowing they will win or they are out there to win. You know, there's no, nothing else. No, tra- no draws, no, you know, close, close defeats, uh, in array matches. No, Bayern or on the pitch to win in every match, even if they go against the, the top tier clubs in Europe. Um, but you know, if they start losing, then that's, that's a, that's pretty big. I mean, Dortmund gets into crises here and there, uh, if they have, if, you know, get, uh, losing streak going, but if Bayern gets losing streak or uh, let's say a winless streak, then there's, there's hell, uh, hell and, uh, what's, what's called the Sevener Straße where, where the Bayern training pitch is located. Um, so. It's it's this this season is the time to beat Byron. Um, next season might be already too late. Yeah, I think we can all agree on uh, that. At least it would be nice if the title race or whatever for for the sake of the Bundesliga is just a little bit closer and more exciting than it was in the last uh, years. I think since uh, Bayern started to walk the league, they have lost now with the Hertha game seventeen Bundesliga games. And a couple of them, uh, when they already, uh, were crowned champions. So, um, yeah, I guess it's, it's refreshing when, when they lose. Um, and I guess for us, it's also time to move on, but not before I announce a winner of, uh, that, uh, beautiful half and half scarf of the, uh, Kräuter Fürth Dortmund Cup game. And it's, uh, Kyle Melching. Congratulations. You predicted three to two and you were the only one to predict. So I assume there's nobody else out there who wants that scarf and, uh, close enough, I guess. So, um, we'll just not count the over, uh, the open net goal in stoppage time and I'll send you the scarf. If you, uh, DM us your address, that'd be nice. So, uh, congrats, Kyle. And, uh, with that, 
We can move on to the next game against Monaco in the Champions League on Wednesday night, 9 p.m. kickoff. Uh, remember, the uh, Champions League kickoff times have slightly changed 15 minutes later, and there's one sooner kickoff time. Um, Matthias, Monaco are 18th in the league. They are not performing well. Um, they are, you know, in the rele relegation zone, of course. Um, do you think this is a must win for Dortmund now in the Champions League, given Monaco's form and given that uh, they want to extend their form in the table? Well, I'd say every match in the Champions League is a must win um, when you're at the, the Dortmund level. Um, but yeah, I mean, kick them when they're down. Why the hell not? Uh, <laughs> uh, Monaco obviously are completely off their game this season and uh, playing against Dortmund could not come at a worse time for them and honestly not at a better time for Dortmund. Dortmund have confidence after, you know, the the Nuremberg match and of course coming from behind uh, like they did against Leverkusen, carry that momentum on and forward into the next match. Yeah, it's a must win and I think it's a will win type scenario. All right. Brief answer, I like it. Lars, um, are there any players left from uh, the team that beat uh, Dortmund in the Champions League a few years ago? Yeah, I mean, uh, El Tigre Falcao is still going relatively strong, I think. I don't know if he's uh, not been firing in all cylinders or anything because they obviously had a torrid start to the season, but I'm just checking and he has three goals in seven matches, which is fine, especially for a 32-year-old striker. And, you know, defensively, especially, that pretty much looks like a similar, if not the same team. Um, you still have Jemerson, Kamil Glick, Andre Araci, Gipri uh, Sidibe, for example. We're probably not going to see all of them. But, you know, the the big thing for them, obviously, was losing all those midfielders who, who made the difference Uh, remember back to the Dortmund games, how Bakayoko, for example, ran the show. I mean, he did nothing at Chelsea, but he was really good in that Monaco system. And if we're talking about departures from uh, one and a half years ago, obviously the biggest one, Kylian Mbappé, he absolutely abused Dortmund uh, in both games. Obviously, there were some circumstances we uh, decided not to talk about today but uh, we, we all know what 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 happened before the first meeting with uh, Monaco but still I mean Mbappé at that time I think 18 years old uh, he ran rings around the Dortmund defense scored I think in both games he's not there anymore uh, Thomas Lemar is not there anymore the midfielders uh, aren't really there anymore so the team while somewhat similar still and obviously very talented in most places um, isn't really up to that standard and I think uh, they they kind of peaked with their league and title that, that one Champions League campaign and I mean this is uh, AS Monaco we're talking about that's not a perennial powerhouse in European football it's, it's a nice team from France uh, probably not even second best in that league even if we're discounting current form because Olympique Lyon are probably a better team than that so uh, them coming to Dortmund you would expect the, the home side to be favorites and I think that's that's the case here 
Constantine, since I haven't seen a single minute of Monaco play, I don't think I don't, I think I don't even have seen the the highlights of their first Champions League game against uh, Atletico, which they lost two to one. Um, can you? I don't know if you can, but uh, if you can, uh, can you tell me and listeners uh, how Monaco play these days under Jardim? They they still try to play um, pretty similar to what they tr uh, tried last season. It's it's, it's uh, um, you know very attacking minded style, uh, high fullbacks or wingbacks. Um, we you know we uh, it depends a little bit on on what uh, Jardim uh, chose to do. He tried out of back three against Saint Etienne, played a back four against Angers, and. Uh, mixes things up because he's just not satisfied with what they are doing. Yeah, a high fullbacks, um, deep runs by the by the wingers, so there's not much protection on the wings. Actually, um, what 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 they are really lacking is, however, is of course the the center midfield and uh, what Fabinho offered um, before he left. Also, Lemar, who played on the wing sometimes, who played in center midfield or attacking midfield in our matches. You know, this kind of dominance in the center that's that's just gone. Um, they 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 got by last season more or less, um, but it was sh still not as good um, as the season before when they when they beat Dortmund uh, and when when Monaco was really on top of the game because then they were defensively much more stable. The counter pressing was working. That's not working anymore. So the 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 back four, back three, whatever it is, gets exposed more and more. And players like Raji and Click. Um, in, in open field situations, they aren't up to par, um, against quick, uh, agile strikers. So that's also something to keep in mind for the Dortmund match. Because if Dortmund gets these turnovers, uh, which I guess, the, which I expect them to get, um, then quick transition attacks will really do them favors against these, these, uh, defenders. Because I think, uh, Larson and Royce, and uh, Icasa, um, they can run circles around some of these these defenders. Um, and that's what you know. Jardim right now tries to uh, somehow stabilize the defense, but it's just not working. And uh, I think I don't know if he has underestimated uh, what he lost in midfield uh, in terms of player quality, maybe. But it's also that. It was also the case last season. It's the case this season. He has really changed a little bit of the style, and they play so attacking minded. I have played so attacking minded that it's really hard to, to you know turn the switch. Um, and and yeah, so I guess uh, right now they are they are really uh, on a downward spiral um, because of that. And uh, I mean last season and, and, and a few matches here and there, you could see it even even this season. They, yeah, well. They didn't really have that many good performances, but sometimes they were able to maybe out, I don't know, outrun, outgun, and outscore opponents. But if that doesn't work, um, then well, they they don't really have uh, much to offer. And I think uh, coming back to your to the question you asked first, uh, not to me but uh, to Matthias is yes, I think it's a must-win situation to get through to the next round. You have to beat that Monaco side at home. You have to, um, because. That that's just you know they are beatable. They are very beatable right now. Um, and I think even you know coming back from the first match they played against Atletico, and Atletico is really on on top of their game right now. I mean, uh, they 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 aren't. Um, but uh, I think even Mon Monaco has has or declined even further in the f past few weeks. So they looked really really weak uh, last Friday. 
um, and the week before. They really, there was nothing there. Um, they were, you know, and below average or like compared to comparable to a below average Bundesliga side. So Dortmund has to beat them. And, and I think it, it really, the weaknesses of Monaco that really plays into the cards of Borussia Dortmund because of, you know, open space, uh, open field, open space situations. Uh, if they can be created in the backs of, of the center midfielders who aren't, you know, as dominant, who aren't able to regain possession as quickly and as constantly as the Fabinho and Lemars and, and, the, and the old um, center midfield did two years ago or even last season. So, well, yeah, it's a must-win situation and um, I would be somewhat disappointed if Dortmund doesn't win against that Monaco side um, be- because, um, I mean, then they might, you know, unnecessarily throw away the chance to go through and even maybe finish first in the group because, as I said, Atletico, all still, you know, still a great team, but it's one of these seasons where Simeone has some issues um, you know, in terms of tactics and, and getting it right in, in terms of attacking attacking styles. So, yeah, they have to. All right, Matthias. Um, then maybe we can uh, look into the crystal ball a little bit and uh, you can now try to predict um, what and who <laughs> and how Favre will rotate this 11 from, from the Leverkusen game who maybe will be brought on for, let's say, tactical reasons and who will be brought on just for the sake of, of uh, recuperation, fitness and whatnot? Well, um, good question. I, I would hope and expect Ahut to start. Um, I, w- I really hope Maximilian Philipp does not start as a striker. I'd like to see Paco Alcacer start from the beginning. Um, other than that, maybe Jaden Sancho from the beginning? Maybe? Um, uh, that, that's actually an interesting discussion, right? Because in the Bundesliga now, he has scored five assists and scored, uh, yeah, and one goal in 124 minutes because he just has been subbed in every time. But against Bruges, where he played from from the start, he wasn't all that good. So is Jaden Sancho now Mr. Super Sub, or can he start? I guess there's only one way to find out, but uh, do you risk it? I think I would. I would, at least from the start, um, put Sancho in, keep Pulisic on the bench, because Pulis- Pulisic's been putting in a lot of minutes, give him a little bit of a breather. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Lukas Piszczek start, just just for the rotational options. Um, and then as far as the rest of the back four, you know, I just don't trust Schmetzer anymore. I I mean, I don't know if Guerrero is still lagging fitness that he can't start. If he's fit to start, I wouldn't mind seeing him start at left back. And then you have the Akanji Diallo center back partnership that I believe is is better, even though Zagadou overall is playing better than he did last season. Um, I I wouldn't. I, that's what I would prefer to have happen overall. Why Why do you not trust Schmetzer anymore? Um, it's just you know he occasionally gets caught out of position. He occasionally loses the ball in really bad situations. And uh, can be suspect at times defensively. I just feel like he's regressed a lot um, or declined. You can't really say regress at his age. It's more a decline over the last 12 months, uh, 12 to 18 months. 
And but again, I, I think against Monaco, he could start and and do decently. But I wouldn't mind seeing Guerrero start a match and see if he's actually anywhere near being a decent player again. All right. Why I want to see Guerrero at some point as well. I don't know if I want to see him at left back, but I, I have to politely disagree with you, Matthias. I think that Schmelzer has actually been doing well this season. I think he's, he's having a decent season. Anyway, uh, <laughs> nevertheless. Lars, do you think that uh, one Mario Götze should make it back to the team just for the sake of killing that discussion? Or do you think it will only get worse because Favre just can't figure out a way to play him? Obviously, he was sick against uh, Leverkusen. Not that I think he would have made the squad. Or do you think uh, that's a game for Mr. Kagawa? And also, do you think that uh, Julian Weigel deserves a start? Yeah, I mean, even if Götze were to play that wouldn't kill the discussion by any means because uh, that circus is already in town and has permits for the next 12 months or so. So, I mean, there's there's no way one game... I mean, Götze could probably score a hat-trick and people would still talk about, well, he, he wasn't in the squad in the Bundesliga twice, so what about that? I mean, I don't think he's going to be in the team. He may be on the bench, but, you know... As we talked about on the podcast, that never was. Farfo doesn't really know how to use him, so it might might not make sense for him to be on the bench even because, you know, if if, if you're going to bring on Götze as an attacking player, he's not going to have any impact. So I would presume Kagawa would make the squad over him. They might just both not make it. I mean, they don't have a lot of injuries right now. They don't have... They haven't played so many games that you would need to take out too many players in terms of recovery or, or you know, uh, giving them a rest before the final match before international break. So, could could see a scenario where both Götz and Kagawa aren't on the team. Uh, as for Weigel, yeah, he would deserve a start. I mean, it makes more sense to me to start Weigel as the 6 and Witzel as the 8 uh, than Delaney and Witzel. Obviously, Dahoud comes into the equation... I wouldn't be surprised to see Weigel der Hood, uh with Reus again as the number 10, give Witzel a bit of a breather because he's among the older players on the team. But then again, I don't really think of Witzel as the kind of player that needs so much rest because he's got such an efficient uh, running style. He's he's really elegantly gliding all over the pitch. Uh, he, he knows how to use his body, how to shield his body. Uh, I don't think he needs rest, but it, it would make sense just to give Weigel some uh, game time. And as we've talked about, Monaco might be an opponent where you can get by with not necessarily bringing your absolute top 11, if you like. So I, I could see a, a, a few more changes than, than you would usually see from, from Favre in, in a big game, just because... You know, Monaco really are in a, in a, in a bit of a rut. Uh, Dortmund has so much confidence. And as we've seen in a couple of games now, uh, they can really turn things on from the bench too. So the, the biggest question obviously is, uh, about Paco Alcacer. I, as I said before, I would start him even if you have to take him off at halftime. He adds so much to the team and he really also needs the minutes. Uh, he's not going to go to the national team. I, don't know if their call-ups have already been made, but he's not really a factor for the national team right now. So he's going to be in Dortmund. He's going to have a rest after uh, this game and the Augsburg match. So I would definitely start him. 
All right, I think it's time for predictions. And uh, once again, I want to uh, tell our listeners that uh, I have uh, grabbed a bunch of uh, matchday flyers at Dortmund that they have now in, in the media room. And on the on the backside, if you like uh, unfurl them, then you get a nice poster, I think, A3 size or what. And I've got posters now of uh, Roman Bürki, Paco Alcázar, and Marco Reus. And whoever gets the right prediction can choose one of these posters and i will send it to you so um little incentive to to get engaged and send us a prediction to either our twitter at yellow World pod or facebook which is also yellow World pod so please do that if you want to partake and yes constantine your prediction for the monaco game i think uh monaco will of course score an early goal um maybe by old man falcao uh, but then Dortmund will get back into the game as they do a lot these days, I guess, um, and will win quite comfortably. Matthias? I am going to go 2-0. I see a clean sheet for no other reason than I want one. You old Roman Berkey apologist. And Lars? Uh, 3-1 Dortmund. All right, I'm just going to be all too confident and we'll say 3 nothing Dortmund. So, yeah, let, let's let just move on to the next game because we are already hitting the one-hour mark and uh, we get to finish the show. So Dortmund, after comfortably dismantling Monaco in the Champions League, <laughs> they will meet FC Augsburg, who are right now eighth in the table and uh, dismantled Freiburg. 4-1, quite impressively with Alfred uh, Finn Borgerson grabbing a hat-trick in his very first game this season. I, I think he came back from injury, so that was definitely impressive. And, of course, we all know that uh, Felix Götze scored for them very late in the 85th minute or so in the Allianz Arena to a secure point against Bayern. Might have been a bit lucky for them, more of a grab and smash than uh, Hertha, I would say, deservedly beating Bayern. But uh, nevertheless, they capitalized and uh, got away with a point. I don't know if this was the case of Augsburg being really good or Bayern just uh, complacent. Uh, that's for another podcast to discuss. But um, yeah, Matthias, what kind of game is this um, for Dortmund? Could it be that the Augsburg match... Uh, yeah, could be a bigger obstacle for Dortmund than the uh, Monaco game. You know, there's a certain word I haven't used in a long time. Oh, no. <laughs> and somehow I do feel like this has kind of a bit of a trap game written all over it. Uh, Augsburg over the last few seasons have always kind of been a little difficult for Dortmund. Um, and it just, after the highs, and I do believe, uh, they will, obviously, I just predicted it. No, no kidding. Uh, that Dortmund are going to beat Monaco and they're, they're running high. And Augsburg are difficult. They're not an easy side to defeat. And I just, it's, I don't think it's a trap game that Dortmund will necessarily lose, but it's a kind of a trap game, almost like the Hannover game, just the, the one that, you know, you're better, but not enough. And there's some complacency and some tired legs at this run of matches, consecutive matches that it could just produce kind of one of those very uh, boring or annoying draws. 
All right, Constantine, why are Augsburg so tough to play against? What does Manuel Baum, their coach, do so well? And uh, is uh, Daniel Bayer still the man in midfield? Of course, Daniel Bayer is still the man in midfield and in the locker room, um, as he has been for a couple of years now. Um, what does Baum well? I don't know. Does he so many things well? Um, you know, looking at this season, there were a couple of mediocre to bad performances then actually there were a lot i mean they got a somewhat lucky win uh, against Düsseldorf um opening the season um then they didn't really do much i mean they lost against Mainz they lost against Bremen they scored in in late equalizer against uh Bayern B side um and then they had a 4-1 against Freiburg the a future second bundesliga side so um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, what he what he did, uh, comp comparing you know comparing the current uh, Augsburg side to the last season is that, um, he changed technically the midfield. Basically, he changed the midfield a little bit. Um, meaning that now Ronnie Kadir is, is playing basically as a central a central defender, not as a as a central midfielder anymore. So he switched from a back four to a back three. Um, but the, the, still the style is very wing heavy. Um, I'm just seeing he switched back to a back four actually against Freiburg, interestingly. Um, so maybe we'll, we will see that. I don't know. Maybe he's just like Shadim. He tries to figure out things, um, on the fly. Um, but yeah, as I mentioned, very wing heavy attacks. Um, you know, the Philip Max Kayubi pairing on the left, we know from last season, still a focus this, uh, this season. He got Jonathan Schmid as his right back, you know, former right winger, also very athletic and uh, speedy. Um, and it, it shows you if he plays, if he's a right back, um, that you want to, you know, want to play down the right side, you want to play down the left side. Um, but you sacrifice some of your you know, defensive qualities if you've got someone like Schmid as a right back. Um, so yeah, what Dortmund has to do is shutting them down on the wings. And if you can do that, um, then I don't think Augsburg will do much. I mean, yes, Daniel Bayer is still a man midfield, but alone, he won't do that much. Um, and if Ronnie Kadira plays next to him in midfield and not as a central uh, defender um, in a back three, um, then I don't know if that really will work out. Um, I, I don't, I don't really see them, uh, you know, being somewhat effective in midfield. And if, if you aren't effective in central midfield against Dortmund right now, you have a problem. You have a problem because you know, usually Dortmund is, is, is being beaten there. Um, and, and, you know, if, if maybe the, the, the last pass comes from, from a ring there, from the ring, that's one thing, but usually the breakthroughs are in the middle. Um, and just watch the Leverkusen match from where they really created these chances. Um, so yeah, but I agree with Matthias. It smells like something, uh, a little bit shady. Um, so you never know if you get trapped into something and you're, you know, trading by free goals or so, and you suddenly lose to Augsburg uh, after winning against Leverkusen after basically murdering Nuremberg. So. I don't know, but I, I don't expect it to happen. I think there are a few other trap matches there that will come uh, in the next few weeks, actually. Yeah, I guess we can address those at a later point. Um, Lars, 
Philip Max was already addressed uh, last year. I think he had the second highest assist behind Thomas Müller with uh, 12 or so. Um, as a left back, a lot of people want him to stay in the in the Germany squad. I'm not quite sure if uh, he is a fit for Löw. Maybe maybe now after uh, they've changed things a little bit, but I'm not entirely sure. But um, he can be a menace on on uh, Augsburg's left side. How do you think Dortmund will want to contain contain him? And do you think that if you play other Pulisic or Sancho there, that uh, they are, let's say, sometimes defensive lexidesicalness, I don't know if that's a word, uh, can be a li liability <laughs> for them? Yeah, I mean, uh, what Max basically does is he gets into positions and whips really good balls in front of goal and you know more often than not he finds the the head of Kayubi or Gregoric or maybe now Finn Bogason who is among the five best strikers in the Bundesliga and nobody talks about him by the way uh, so you know what, what you except you Lars yeah I'm, except you someone's got to rep the the, the Icelandic uh, goal getter um, you know he, he I guess you try to close down on him, you know, from close, uh, close to the touchline, uh, to the, to the halfway line, basically. So you don't want him to have the ball and a lot of free space. So he can, you know, set his eyes on whomever in the, in the box. Uh, definitely try to reduce fouls and, and, uh, corners, uh, especially obviously the free kicks from the left swinging in. Uh, I don't know if if you really need to as Borussia Dortmund in the in the kind of form they have showed uh, or are going to show. We believe on Wednesday night if you really need to devote extra resources to containing uh, the left back of FC Augsburg. But you know maybe I've said it before. Farfel is kind of risk averse, so it wouldn't shock me if. For that very reason, he uh, would he might put uh, Marius Wolf in there over Pulisic uh, and tell him basically here is Philip Max. Make sure he doesn't wreck our game. And you know, I, I guess if if you think that's the main avenue of Augsburg's to create anything going forward, I don't. I'm not sure that is actually just because Finn Bogerson is so good. Um, Gregoric is really good in my opinion. Uh, Hahn, while not a good football player, has that pace element, Schmid, as Konstantin talked about. So I think f for my book, Augsburg, you think of them as this quintessential average Bundesliga side, but they have quite a few nice players actually. Also in defense with Jauleo, Hinteregger and Kevin Dunn. So, uh, I mean, I, I would agree that Games against Augsburg typically have been quite, quite a bit more difficult than you would think they are, especially for Dortmund. I think there have been a few games where you came into the match thinking, well, it's Augsburg. Here comes a relatively comfortable 2-0 win or something. And then it turned out to be a draw. Um, so I, I guess it makes sense to devote extra resources to their main attacking threat but I'm not sure if if that's really something Dortmund need to do well we've talked sooner like half hour ago or so about Dortmund's uh, resilience and mentality and whatnot and I think this is actually a game where they can show it for right from uh, the start because 
it's it's not a tough prediction to make that Augsburg will give Dortmund hell and will be very physical. I'm pretty sure the uh, Lucien Favre press conference bingo will uh, be completed once he says that Augsburg are very athletic and ping balls up the field to the strikers who then hold on to it very well. Uh, I think that will be that sort of press conference. And I, I think, uh, yeah, if if Dortmund um, somehow will be impressed by that, then uh, it's not a good sign. And so all the uh, talk about resilience, fight, whatever, um, then will be all hogwash anyway. So, um, yeah, that's that's also, I guess, a game where you can prove that you have that winning mentality because of, you know, playing Augsburg, after a Champions League game, it's just not all that prestigious. And uh, I think maybe players will already show during the warm-up <laughs> that uh, they are a bit too sloppy. Who knows? Who knows? But um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's it's certainly going to be a really interesting game um, just because I don't think that's a 100% given win for Dortmund. I think this is a, a team that Dortmund could actually struggle against because... We have seen um, now in, in many games that Dortmund struggle when they are pressed. And I just don't think that Augsburg will be as passive as, as Nürnberg. All right. I think Augsburg uh, will yeah, be actually a bit courageous. Maybe even after just because they, they got a point at the Allianz Arena, they have even that tad more self-belief that they can also grab something at the Westfalenstadion. Who knows? Who knows? Um, Matthias... Is there anything we haven't covered we definitely need to talk about? No, I think we're good. All right, then you can uh, fire away with your prediction and then I think Constantine and Lars can follow suit and then we get the hell out of here. Yeah, well, I said trap game, um, but of course I'm going to contradict myself. <laughs> I think Dortmund are going to win 2-1, but it's going to be an unconvincing workmanlike victory, as will be commented afterwards, where Dortmund really struggled and didn't play well, but somehow still got the win, because that's just the feeling I get around Dortmund these days. So I'm going with a very unconvincing 2-1 victory against Augsburg. Konstantin? 3-2 Dortmund. It, it oh. won't be pretty but it will be a win. Yeah. That might be uh, the second time Dortmund concede twice this season in one game because I think Leverkusen was actually the first time they, they conceded more than one. So there, but we don't know what happens against Monaco last. Yeah, uh, one last thing maybe. I would uh, just to illustrate that Augsburg are not as you know, bad as people might think about them. Uh, if Dortmund hadn't signed Marvin Hitz on a free transfer, I'm pretty sure they'd be unbeaten because uh, Fabian Giefer made three absolutely horrendous mistakes against uh, Mainz and Bremen, I think, with the the only two games they lost, basically. So they, they are resilient and tough to beat. This is, if you'd like to call it that, a trap game. And I would say certainly a spot with, you know, Champions League game, beforehand and then an international break uh, after this is kind of a letdown spot plus a trap game plus a difficult opponent so i'm going to maybe fall into the trap myself and go with a one-all draw yeah i don't know it's it's a very realistic result but i um i'm trying to be optimistic here just like uh, matthias is 
and uh, facing a trap game, I'm, I'm still predicting a 2-1 win, albeit very scrappy. Anyway, thank you all for joining me, and especially thank you all for listening to this. Um, Matthias, you can go first again. Uh, where can people uh, get in touch with you on the internet? Uh, you can hurl all your abuse to me on Twitter, at Matthiasuk. Yes, all Marcel Schmelzer apologists, please do that. Um, I will also heckle you now. Um, <laughs> no, of course not. Um, Konstantin. <laughs> you, you start getting confused, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's too long. Right. Uh, too much for me. Yes, always. And I just remember I have to edit this and, and make sure I'm not deleting everything. So the, the stress is mounting already. Yeah, of course. I mean, we have seen what's what's going on for you. you know, actually, you are fired. You just, you know, you have to work the remaining dates on your contract. Um, I don't have a contract, but okay. Oh, you have one. Yeah, that's why you're on out there on the streets begging for money. Right. So people can, can find people me on Twitter at cc underscore ecknr. <laughs> All right. Enough from Constantine. Uh, Lars, thank you for coming on. Uh, again <laughs> yeah i i know i know whose you. audio file you're mysteriously going to lose after that one um uh, people can just follow me on twitter at Lars polman and i'll explain the rest in great detail there sure you do um you can find me at stefan Butzko on twitter you can find my written work as always on espnfc and if you want to get in touch with all of us please add us on Twitter or Facebook at Yellow Wallpot and you can find the show and all the ways to subscribe there, of course, on yellowwallpot.com and the ways to subscribe to the podcast itself are, as always, SoundCloud, Stitcher and iTunes. And uh, yes, if you want to support us financially, please do that on patreon.com slash the yellow wall where you can still uh, support us. And if you do that with 15 bucks or more, you... Uh, get as a reward a stadium cup and i have to say the socrates one is gone now so we only have uh, marco royce and uh, christian pulisic now left and of course the uh, one where borussia dortmund unites against racism so with that i will uh, send everyone into sleep or whatever else you're doing washing the dishes or cleaning up your room or driving to work anyway goodbye until next week see you then